Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig and welcome to this week's episode of the Full 60. I am thrilled to be joined from Calgary by Calgary Flames Assistant GM Craig Conroy. Craig, how are you? Thanks for doing this. Good, Craig. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, I'm doing great. And um, I'm excited of the timing of this because I was just reading a story by our beat writer in Calgary, Haley, um, about the Flames and back in the playoff hunt and what it's going to take. And I imagine um, as as we tape this right now, it's a Monday, this will go on Thursday, but like it's got to be pretty exciting now. At this point in the season, you're not where you want to be, but at least we're having this conversation. Well, you know, we lost six of seven earlier uh, this month, and all of a sudden you think you're out of it. But you do know, you know what, in, the, in a crazy season like this, you have Montreal three times, they're at you, you're chasing them, and then, you know, you think, hey, you got to you gotta beat them. I mean, yeah. the bottom line is, and then to, to win the first two and then going in, obviously, to this Monday game, uh, to be able to come within two points, it definitely puts some pressure on it. It gives, gives our guys some hope. It's been a, It's been a long season here in Calgary. How is um, – I'm always fascinated to talk to people around the league because I don't know if people realize just how taxing this has been on everybody, right? The players and, and we saw last week Robin Leonard kind of came out. The frustration bubbled up. How has it been from your, your guys' perspective? It's, it's, I mean, you tell, it's been taxing. Like, how is everyone holding up? It's tough. I mean, it's, you know, the road trips are even harder than you think. I mean, I think that's the one thing people think, oh, the road, you're together. If you go on the road, you go, you really look forward to the meal rooms and they're pretty spread out. And, you know, you get a couple guys at a table, but other than that, you really don't, especially on the management side, you don't really see anybody. You're in your room, you're, you know, you go to the games, you, it's, it's about as hard as, as I've ever seen it. And the bubble was great. I mean, cause for me personally, I could go watch four games in a day in the bubble. I'd go get a workout. They had a gym, they had everything. And then, uh, you know, and even some restaurants, but now it's so structured. You're only with your team. You go to the rink, you come back, you're pretty much in your room the whole time. So it does drag on guys. And, uh, you know, I give them all credit. I mean, it's, it's hard and I can't imagine playing in front of no fans. Like it's, right. you know, for me, it's doesn't seem right, but you know, they, they're battling through and they're doing a great job. What, um, so that was funny. I had somebody else say that a couple of weeks ago to me. I, I'm like, well, you know, you guys survived the bubble. And so I'm sure that's helped you prepare for this season. And they were like, this, the bubble was amazing compared to this. Like, people, like the bubble was, was fun on some level, you know, even though it was a, a bit repetitive. This is, this is just like, it's, it's a mental test. Yeah, it's weird to say the bubble. I actually really, really enjoyed the bubble. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I, I thought, you know, people are like, what, really? But the reality is you go, you know, you're there. If, if you like hockey, all you do is wake up in the morning and watch hockey all day, uh, NHL playoff games. Right, and right. then, you know, you get to see all the guys. And it's nice to kind of, you know, especially for my side, you know, now that I've been out of it for 10 years, you know, you don't know the guys, you don't know the guy's size, what they mm. look, you know, kind of what they look like off the ice, but to have them all in one place, uh, you know, to watch Tanev and to see Markstrom and, you know, get to see him down, you know, working on their sticks, doing all that. Yeah. Just kind of the way, and you can tell who gravitates to who on teams. There's ringleaders and yeah. you always want to have guys that people gravitate to. So that's, you know, that was another nice part about being in the bubble. Was there a guy, I would be curious, I wasn't thinking of going here, but like that you maybe got to familiar, familiarize yourself with during the bubble or that you didn't know well that you like came away really impressed with? Well, the one guy, I, I mean, I think I all, every time I ever went over to the rink and would walk down, mm -hmm. Tanev was always there. He was always working on it. The funny yeah. thing is he's always working on his sticks. I'm thinking, I've never seen a guy not score or not get a lot of points, work on his sticks more than I saw Tanev <laughs> yeah. working on 
But, uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, well, yeah. hopefully he doesn't hear this. Yeah. But, uh, you know, then he ended up scoring a big goal, uh, you know, during the playoffs there, the, the winner. But it was one where I thought, you know, he was always there. You'd see him doing the workouts. You see guys doing their workouts as you're walking through. And you just, you knew, you knew some people just loved being at the rink and loved, you know, getting ready for the games. And I think that was, that was all part of it, you yeah. know, and. Obviously, Markstrom, you love you love seeing the size and everything that's going on with him. But you know, and it's like all the guys, all the free agents. I was, you know, I feel kind of weird talking about it. That, but you're kind of watching them all the time, right. seeing what they're like, how they are interacting with other other teammates and stuff like that. And uh, you know, but it was definitely uh, a fun to be a part of and fun to kind of be able to watch all that and and, and be there. You know, and now you know you don't have that same luxury with just just watching your own team. Do you have a great sense of what's going on in the, in the other divisions? And I wonder how this is going to impact offseason stuff. If you sit there and go, okay, I really haven't seen Taylor Hall or whoever, you know, whoever that may be, right? You know what? It's weird. I watch, I watch the games, but I don't, I'm not as invested in the games. Mm. I'm not, I guess I should say that I'm more, if there's a, a the Canadian divisions playing, I'm watching the Canadian division. Sure. I, and it's just hard not to, but uh, you're right. I kind of have to go through and, you know, you're looking at free agents, you're looking at players. You're like, I got to go and watch those guys. I have to go make sure, you know, I feel comfortable with them. And I think once we get through a little bit more, we'll see who signs, uh, you know, Lowry just signed. There's going to be free agents yeah. that sign along the way they go. And then, you know, we'll kind of, we know who we really like and what we're looking for. So you know, whether they'll be available or not, you know, we don't know. We'll just kind of have to wait and see. But you're right. I I only am interested in the in the North Division right now. <laughs> right. I was talking to someone this morning about it. Is there anything you want to take from this year and keep long term in terms of, you know, I kind of like the baseball scheduling and, you know, a few games back to back or whatever. Yeah. You know what? I think I didn't. I was never a fan. I didn't think I would like it to actually go and play in the same city more than once. But now after doing it, to go back after a game, to go to the hotel, grab something to eat, and then just get ready to do it. Travel-wise, I think it'd be way better. I mean, it really yeah. would. It would take a lot of pressure off the guys. And, you know, I never thought about it. I just thought, ah, that's baseball. Stick there. But after doing it, and I, I kind of thought you'd split the games. So I was a little worried to beat a team twice would be hard. But, you know, the more I think about it, it just makes more sense with the travel, with the, the wear and tear in the guys' bodies. It, it'd be nice if we could make that a little bit of a change there for sure. Yeah, I like that. I remember um, Jonathan Taves for us last year wrote a whole schedule out. He's like, here's my dream scenario and like had a grids and it was like and, – and we've we're seen versions of it. And, you know, you don't like the circumstances in which they've, you know, they've arrived. But I, I, I do think there's – a lot we can learn from it. It's it's been well, good. It's been you know what way better than I thought. Yeah, when when I heard about it last year, I thought ah, I don't really like it. You know, yeah. I just I like to go. I don't like playing the same team over and over again. Maybe because when I was in the minors, we played PEI twenty four times in one year. <laughs> <laughs> we rode the ferry with them. Oh. <laughs> it felt like they were part of your team. Hey guys, how are you doing? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, all right, a couple of things on the Calgary front before I get into your career a little bit. One is Daryl Sutter. And I was, you know, obviously, you know that family well. And, and I was wanted to get into the process a little bit before he came aboard. Like, how big a hand did you have in that? I imagine, I mean, as someone that knows him well, that was a big thing. You know, when Brad was asking, you know, looking to make a change, what would we be, you know, the first thing you have to ask, Brad, is what you're looking for. Right. I mean, Errol's a certain type of person. He's a certain type of coach that, you know, I had him. So it's not going to be easy. I think Bob Hartley would be a very similar coach. Yeah. You know, and and Brad moved away from Bob. But I think Brad just kind of when he looked at everything, he said, I need a veteran coach that could come in and really be in charge of this bench and be in charge of that room down there. Hmm. I said, well, if you want that, then Daryl Sutter's <laughs> probably here. <laughs> right. He's going to have full full control of uh, everything that happens downstairs. I mean, that's that's what he does. And, you know, it's it's that's what I said. Sometimes it's not always fun with Daryl, but it's about winning, and he's very uh, focused, and he expects you to play a certain way. And if you don't play that way, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a Jerome McGinley, Johnny Gaudreau, you know, top, he's actually harder on the top players, I yeah. said, and he, he expects more out of him. He feels like if he kind of puts, you know, if he makes not an example, but maybe makes an example out of them, 
you know, that puts everybody else in line too. You know, they say, oh, if he's going to do it to, to Jerome McGinley, he's going to easily do mm-hmm. it to Christoph Oluwa, you know. Right, right. Did you, do you have to prepare the players for that? Did you do, was there any to be like, look, this is what to expect or is it just like, we're going to let Daryl come in and be Daryl? Uh, no, I kind of explained like he, he, he's very quiet on the bench, Daryl. Mm. So I said to hear him to, for the lines and that's when there was fans. So I don't know how it is now, but I said, uh, he'll yell at the refs. You don't want to say much. I mean, you really want to kind of do your thing, but you want to come and practice hard for him. He's going to expect a lot out of you and don't take anything personal. I mean, the one thing about Daryl, you know, there's some times where, you know, he's, he's in the heat of the moment. It's hard. He comes at you and he comes at you hard, but the next day it's, 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 it's nothing personal with Daryl. He's there for, to win and he's there to push buttons and he's going to figure out what buttons to push to get you to kind of play your best hockey. Sometimes you don't like those buttons, but in the end, the next day, you know, you, you think you don't, you're trying to avoid Daryl the next day. And when you see him, he's like, Hey Craig, how's it going? Right. You're like, Oh, I thought you're mad at me. <laughs> right. So, you know, you prepare the guys the best you can, but until Daryl gets here and, you know, that was 20 years ago too. Mm. Daryl was here with us. So, you know, I, I did talk to Jerome prior to see how he was in LA. Uh, and he's like, Oh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near how he was when he was in Calgary. So I said, okay. And as he's gotten older, you're thinking he's going to, you know, calm a little bit. But I think it's just a little bit, to be totally honest. I was going to say, how much difference are you seeing? I mean, you're you're there. It's a lot of similarities. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same. He's a little, he's toned it down a little bit, but it's still there. But that's what we wanted. You know, that's what we were looking for, and that's what we thought we needed. So he's doing exactly what I thought he was going to do. Yeah. It, it, I think this is such a challenging time, and, and I think Calgary is a great example of this, where you – you have to make these long-term decisions about a group of players, about a coaching staff during a time where it's really hard to evaluate people, right? Like last year was weird. This year was weird. Uh, people aren't going to be performing to their optimal standards I, in any business. How, as, as a manager and as a group of managers, how have you guys tried to evaluate players keeping all that in mind? That's really hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're doing the best you can. You're, you're still you know, you're breaking down all the things, the hockey sense of skating and you're watching them. But I mean, I think a lot of people here would say, well, Matthew Kachuk's having a down year. Me personally, Matthew Kachuk needs fans. He needs fans. Drives off that stuff. That's what he lives for. And I think he still tries to get himself in those moments. But when there's 20,000 people pushing you into that, it seems like his game just elevates. And I think, you know, for him, it'll be interesting to see this year compared to next year. But I do think he's trying to do all those things and he's trying to do the right things. I think the numbers just aren't there. But I do believe when fans come back, that'll be a whole nother level level for Matthew. That's really interesting. Like I was thinking of just the grind of everything. I, I don't know. I guess the, even just the, the fact that fans aren't around um, – that's a whole other area I wouldn't didn't even consider. Like that, these are performers essentially at some level. Yeah, exactly. They're playing to the crowd sometimes. I mean, when Johnny gets the puck here in his own zone, the place kind of comes a becomes alive. That's right. And you know, away he goes. But you know, as far as that, I think the guys are doing the best they can. I mean, with what they have, and they're and we went through those tough stretches and it's hard, you know, yeah. you lose and there's no getting away from each other. We're on the road for all, you know, 13 days. And, you know, unfortunately if it's not going well, it multiplies and right. it just, it's like a dark cloud over the team. So it is nice right now that we've had some success. The guy, there's a belief that the guys say, Hey, we have a chance and uh, there's some light at the end of the tunnel here. Yeah. All right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, so d- when did you know you were going to settle in? Like, I, I think of you as an American, an American player, New York kid, uh, you know, and, and, but as a player though, I mean, you, you're associated with Calgary and now you're all in on Calgary. When did that, when did that happen for you? 
You know, it's weird. I think when I came back, you know, kind of towards the end of my career, talking to Ken King and, you know, the ownership group, kind yeah. of figuring out yeah. what you're going to do. I mean, I was getting close to the end at 39, uh, going on 40 and just, it was a great run and, and just kind of what was going to be the next step in your, you know, in life. Yeah. So they gave me an opportunity right away, which, you know, so I think even the day when I retired, you know, when I made the announcement, it was, it wasn't as, I guess, emotional or upsetting because I knew I was going to be going from downstairs to upstairs right away and part of it, but it's amazing how much I really didn't know what happened upstairs. You know, I think <laughs> player you have ideas what happens upstairs how things work and how I just thought we were going to change the team and it was just going to be an easy quick process we could just do it you know and then uh, to get up there and kind of see how it all works it was it was a shocker but you know I think that's when you know I said okay I think we're going to be in Calgary for a little while yeah hopefully uh, you know never never thought I'd be here my wife always thought we'd be going back to the U.S. at some point, but I'm like, nope. Ten years after, uh, you know, I go, I started this job where we're still here, you know. Uh, so, what were those conversations with Ken like as you were kind of weighing what's next? You know, I was fortunate. I had some opportunities. Uh, Clarkson uh, coaching job opened up, so they mm -hmm. uh, was in in the running for that. And then there were some TV opportunities. Uh, you know, that I was kind of going back and forth with. And then, you know, in the end, I think Ken just said, I think I want you to come in here and be a part of everything. See, mm. see how this thing works. I mean, I've been on, you know, whether it's sweet sales, you know, naming right stuff. He, he, he was great. He yeah. was really great, giving me an opportunity to kind of see the business side and the hockey side. And uh, with Jay Feaster kind of took over after, we made the transition. He was the acting general manager to start with, you know, he let me development, um, scouting, you know, and, and I've had some great opportunities to kind of do everything, you know, in the organization to make sure I knew if I ever become a GM one day in this league, I'll know every single part of how it works. Yeah. You know, not just the hockey side, but the business side and how to deal with uh, kind of with everybody, you know, from, season ticket holders. I know you do all those zoom calls and stuff now, but just there's so much more behind the scenes that goes on. And so many people that work so hard to make it so smooth for the guys right. downstairs, which is, which I, I took for granted. It just all happened like that. That's right. That's right. That's right. What, what was there one element that surprised you the most, just the, the kind of degree of difficulty? Making trades. It was really making trades. I thought, I thought trades were going to be something that, you know, I think with the if there wasn't a salary cap, I think trades would be no problem. Yeah. I mean, we get we get down the road on trades a million times, and then the the oh, there's a problem with the money. Would you guys be able to take this? Oh, that's a problem for us now. You know, and it's it's always the money, and then now with the flat cap, it's even more so. You know, that was the thing that shocked me. I mean, there was definitely, you know, and the other thing is. I guess as a player, everybody wants the no move, the the no trades. Mm -hmm. As a manager now looking on this side, it, you really can't do it. I mean, you really if <laughs> you, you handcuff yourself because when you have to go to a guy and say, hey, we want to trade you to team X, I know they're on your no trade. It really, it makes things difficult because then if he says no, then he knows you're trying to trade him. And there's just so many problems with it. Right. I mean, I know, I know there's, you're going to have to give some of those out, but if I was in charge, I'd rather not give. I want to do that very sparingly. I mean, we pay the way I look at it. I remember when Dave Taylor asked me, he said, Hey, do you want to no trade in your contract when as a free, I said, no, I honestly, I didn't. I said, if you don't want, you're just saying this now for when you do the next Kachuk deal or something, you can be like, yeah, no, exactly. go listen to this podcast about how I, <laughs> and, and you know what? I know Dave can back me up because yeah. Dave asked me, you know, yeah. and I just thought to myself, you know, if you don't want me, then mm -hmm. I don't want to, I want to go somewhere where someone wants me, no matter where that is. Every, that's the one thing I always laugh. Every city and team in this league is a good, good city. I yeah. mean, you know what? You go there, they got good fan bases. They, every place you go is fine. So, you know, for me to try to pick a place to go, you know, you saw Jerome try to pick a place, you know, whether it was Boston right. or Pittsburgh that day, he picked Pittsburgh. Well, Boston beat him. I mean, you uh -huh. just can't pick 
who's going to win a Stanley Cup. So it's almost better, I think, not to know. Yeah. You know, just go where people want you, where they think you're a good fit, and then, uh, you know, have some success. That's It's interesting because especially as an American, I know there's a lot of U.S. players that have like a blanket, no Canadian teams. And if you had that been you, like w- what would you have missed out on, right? Like your best, I imagine playing, you know, going to the cup final now in the front office. Like that, if you just said, hey, I, don't, I just don't want to play in Canada, you know, that, that changes your whole career path. Well, it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing to me when I, I sit in, being American, I sit in draft, you know, we're doing the combine and then you're getting all the stuff and you're in the interviews and, and American players say, yeah, I don't want to go to Canada. Like what? Yeah. Like really? <laughs> like you, you know, I said as much as the U.S. loves hockey, it's a whole nother. It's you know what? But it is a lot of pressure. I will say that. Yeah. You know what? Maybe can't. Maybe I don't want guys that don't want pressure and they don't want to have to perform every night and be a part of it. But it is surprising to hear so many guys say, you know, no, I don't want yeah. to play in Canada, or even Canadians that say, well. You know, when Canadians have us on their do not trade list, it, I, it's shocking to me. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you're Canadian. You're already Canadian. <laughs> right, right. We have 20,000 fans every night that love, you know, the Sea of Red. They love you guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I like the pressure. I always wanted to play with a little pressure. I wanted to be, it means something day in and day out. I mean, that's what it, it's maybe not. I know Montreal and, you know, playing in Montreal. It's definitely a different animal there too, with with both the French and, and English media. It's it's not easy, yeah. you know. There are some tough days, but if you can have success and play well, there's no better place to be. I mean, you ask the guys in Toronto right now; they're probably loving life the mm-hmm. way they're like gods in that city. Yeah. So I love the the kind of like the lifting the veil a little bit on trades and how they go down and, and the difficulty because we sit there on the outside it's so easy for us i'm like hey i can solve all of calgary's issues give me like 10 minutes and i'm gonna make four deals and one of them's gonna be a three-team trade and we're gonna ship money and it's impossible so like if you can and like i look at so the moves you guys make over the deadline like a dave the david riddich deal how does that is is that something where at the agm level you're reaching out to lawrence or lawrence is reaching out to you or is it is that one of the gms or how did that play out you know what? Brad really likes to do it all. Like I yeah. think when uh, Brian was here, Brian uh, let everyone make, you know, you can make more calls. You can mm-hmm. talk to more people, get a feel like uh, Brad really likes to do it himself. Yeah. You know, so we have to kind of rely on Brad. We all sit around waiting for Brad. We hear the phone ring and if he comes out, he'll tell us. And then he goes back in his office, you yeah. know, whether we like the idea, we don't like the idea. Um, so we're kind of on the outs a little bit on that. We're not right in the kind of you. You would yeah. love to be in the action, right? You know? Right. But Brad loves that action, so he, he kind of hogs that to himself a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the Riddich deal. I mean, he came out, and there was a few teams uh, looking for backup goalies, okay. uh, kind of strengthen it for the run, and and all of a sudden, you know, it was Toronto, and then there was definitely a, you know, we always set. You know, even when Brian was here, we we kept Mike Camilleri because we wanted a, mm. a third round pick, uh, and or we wanted a second round pick, and the best we were going to get was a third round pick, and and I always still, I mean, and that's where Brian, you know, you're different than your bosses, but I'm like, well, isn't a third round pick even better than nothing? But Brian's like, well, you don't want to set your market too low because in future. You know, the next year at the trade deadline, people might look at that. I'm like, oh, okay. But I mean, to keep Cammy and then lose him for nothing, I thought still didn't, you know, even yeah. to this day, I go back and think, how would I do it? You know, it came right down the wire. I mean, the last minute, okay, we're not going to get the second, but I'm still thinking a third's not bad. You know, right, right. I, I probably would have done it. And, and only, but I will say Brian wanted to sign Camilleri mm. and we offered him a three-year deal. Uh that I thought was better than the five-year deal he got in uh, New Jersey. Yeah. Him and I argue about this all the time. <laughs> I said he didn't trust himself. You know, he right. could have made more money if he went with our deal. But ah. in the end, you know, he had to make that decision. But I had to, especially with my relationship with with Mike, I knew he, w- I knew he was looking to get back to, to the East Coast. Yeah. So that's why I think I would have said, Berkey, let's just, you know, let's get the third and, and move on. But you know, and that's kind of, we had a, a thing for Riddick this year that we wanted to get a third. And once we got the third, we, you know, we made the deal. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
so I love it. We j- so right after the trade deadline, we did a show and we were talking and that ca- that Camilleri deal came up in the because bre- we were yeah. debating the t- Taylor Hall thing and it was like, you know, we the initial reaction was, oh, Buffalo just got hosed. That's not enough for Taylor Hall. And then it became, oh, well, he only had one team or it was only going to be, you know, Buffalo was hamstrung by the no trade clause. And then it was, okay, do you pull up Brian Burke and say, I don't care. We'll keep him if you don't give us a first. Or are you better off getting the second? And that was the debate. Like, I don't know the right answer to that. It's hard because in the end, if, you know, you don't know who, how many people he had on the phone and Mm. who he's talking to, you know, but I do think it's like I said earlier, when you have that full no move, you're you're at the mercy of the players. You really can't make a good deal. Yeah. You know, that's why I think for me personally, I'd rather say this is the contract. This is the money. If you, you know, if six teams, eight teams, that's okay. But a full no move really, it, it hamstrings you. you. You just don't have any, op- you don't really have any options. I mean, yeah. because the player can say yes or no. I mean, it was documented, the cadre deal that we had going here. It's just, even though you think you're going to make a good deal, it's going to be good for both teams. The player just vetoes it and it's over. Yeah. So, you know, that's the one thing I'm like, I always say, and the next CBA, can we just get those taken out? And that that's they're like, Craig, relax. That's not even what we're worried about. I'm like, okay, no problem. That's a non-starter in, in CBA parlance. That's a non-starter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so it's it, that reminds me. I think back to you know you you bring up Camilleri leaving. The decision you have to make. You you know you become a free agent right before the lockout, and LA comes calling. And what I found fascinating looking back at that deal is if I remember correctly, like you, it, it became a conversation with you and Bob Gooden now, right? Like this is, this is more than just you, right? Like it, it's like, okay, I have to, there's a lockout coming. There's, you know, maybe I'm losing a year of this. What was that process like in a, for you as a player? Well, the problem was when we, when we, you know, my question was how much was the rollback going to be? Right what we were going to do, how it was going to work coming out of there. I mean, I was asking questions in my own, just from my own situation, because, you know, you, you don't know where, what's, where it's headed, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, I think the most I thought that we were going to roll back was about 8%, (laughs) you know, and, and people can probably come back now and say, Oh no, we told you guys, I'm like, I really don't remember ever hearing 24% uh, rollback that, I probably would have maybe just waited a little bit, you know, yeah. to see what kind of played out. But in the end, it all works out the way it's supposed to. But it was it was definitely uh, a shocker when we Jerome actually called me said we're going to roll back twenty four percent. I'm like, what? So you lose a year and then you get rolled back twenty four, and uh, you know that was my biggest deal. And you're always trying to figure out, okay, what's the right thing to do. And at that point, I didn't know, you know, I talked to uh, about doing a one-year deal, um, maybe, and then see where we were at or, and then when uh, the Kings came with the four-year deal, I thought I better not take any, you know, right. I'm a little, uh, I'm a little bit of a worrier. So I think I jumped at it and, uh, and just said, I better take the four-year. And it was already, it was already 32 years old. So it wasn't like I was 28, 29. That might've, it played a little differently for me. That's so hard. Like it's because it, you do want to bet on yourself, like you were saying with Camilleri, but at the same time, you're staring at a little bit of security in what's probably yeah. your last big deal, right? Like that's exactly, and it was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, why do you think you and Jerome McGinley clicked so much when you played with him, and, and, and it seemed like both on and off the ice? Yeah, you know what? I mean, it really didn't. It was funny because we kind of got in a little tussle that year in St. Louis. He kind of jumped me and maybe beat me up. Uh, and then when I came in, he really wasn't that happy to, you know, he kind of said, we have too many checkers already. We didn't need another one because they, they got rid of Corey Stillman. I totally got it. Like yeah. I, at the time I thought, geez, no one's even giving me a chance here. But um, I think the big thing for me was Greg Gilbert was my coach in uh, Worcester for five games. And I, I think I had like 10 or 11, 12 points with him in those five games. So when I got here, he said, Craig, I know there's more to your game offensively than just being, you know, a shutdown guy. Yeah. So you're going to get an opportunity. And I thought right there was the first time anyone's ever said that to me since I've been in the NHL. And I thought, hmm. okay. And then uh, Mark Stavard got hurt in Detroit and I got to jump up 
to play with Jerome and he scored two goals and he ended up having like 20 goals in the first 20 games we played together. And <laughs> That's we- pretty good. That's pretty good production. My favorite thing from that era, going back and reading about you and Jerome, was that this is like the nerdiest thing ever, but since I'm a big nerd, I was I, I related to it, was that you guys would play Age of Empires together, which is amazing. We played – so, we played against Goche <laughs> and uh, Regeer head-to-head. They beat us. So, we Jerome and I are like – we're all super competitive guys. Yes. So, we would be on there playing Age of Empires – and we lost like 80 times in a row. Well, they never told us you could take these little carts and put two markets and run back and forth. <laughs> what could you do? And their armies would come and we're like, how? I'm like, how could it even be fun the way you guys are dominating? Us? And they loved it. They just wouldn't tell us. And finally, we figured it out. But and then the games became fun again. But it was uh, yeah. Daryl used to come back and and just give it to us when we were playing uh, playing the games in the back of the plane. Oh my gosh! That just for your information, I just saw it there. You can get that on the iPhone now. It's it's making a comeback as a as a phone game, which is oh, uh, good news for. Those we had games. so much fun with that. What's what's your game of choice now? Is are you guys board game people or were you, like? What do I? Uh, trying to think like what if i you know what we played more board games now that you know covid hit uh definitely that's back i'm trying to think there was one game that we just played i can't think about what it's called but yeah all those games you know when you're sitting around the house you can't go anywhere uh that's right that's That's right still up here my my daughter's still not even in school you know Mm. like still staying at home and you know, I know a lot of places in the U.S. I talked to everybody back home and everything's opened up. And here we are still kind of uh, not in lockdown, but almost locked down. It's really hard, um, you know, because we, you know, we've got a staff in Canada, staff in the U.S. And just the meetings are completely different. Like you have people that are back at it and travel. Like we, we were going to send three or four people to the U18s in, um, in the U.S. And meanwhile, people in Canada can't leave their house. And it's it's so – even just managing within our own little world here at The Athletic, it was challenging. I don't know. Who did, did – did, how many people do you guys send to something like the U18s? Well, uh, you know, it's funny. I was just watching before, uh, before we got on. I was watching the exhibition game, uh, Finland and Canada. We probably have one, two – I think we have four, four, we might have five guys going in. Yeah. So Todd Button, our, our head scout, he's, he's going down. He lives in, you know, in Toronto, but he, we you know we have to have him go. We yeah. have to. Yeah. I mean, I debated going in and it's the two week quarantine coming back. That That's makes right. it a little bit difficult, but you know, for Todd, he just said, I have, I have to go. And then our U S guys are all going down too, which is, which is nice. Do you, how much do you get into the amateur side? A lot. You know what? I mean, probably the first uh, 40 guys on our list mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, once we get to the third, uh, probably fourth round, you know, then I feel like we really let area guys kind of step up and, and grab guys as they like. You know, usually I know who they are. If, yeah. Uh, Francis last year, I got to see him a bunch of times when I was in watching the Quebec League. So when we picked him, I'm like, oh, I felt good. You know, I yeah. felt comfortable. Um, but Overall, you, you get to see. I probably, I'm trying to think how many games I get to see, but there's a ton of them. I go to all the big tournaments, you know, everything like that. And, you know, Todd lets me have a pretty good say, especially in the first round on, uh, on who we get to pick. Yeah. Which is, which is always fun. So there's, I have two working theories on this draft, and it was kind of around the deadline, and I'm not sure which one is right. It's either you wanted to trade out of this draft because nobody knows anything. Or you wanted mm-hmm. to gather picks in this draft because you might get somebody in the third round that's a first-round talent. We just don't know it. Where where do you fall into that, into those two camps? I want to take a chance on picking. picking. I want to pick. Yeah, you want to just say, okay, let's get some lottery tickets in here. Yeah, because we have some guys we like and we're thinking, well, you know what? They haven't, the OHL didn't play this year. You know, but, you know, you're monitoring these guys. You know, you're watching them. You're, you're, you're seeing all these players and you kind of know who you like and you write notes like who, who you want to track for next year yeah. and what you like about them. And, and so I do think there's some, there's some opportunities for us to maybe grab players that, you know, other people aren't going to like, or we like, and you know, it, it's, it's one of those years where even with kind of saying this, we could go back and watch all the games. So usually we'll have, say on a player, we'll have 25 to 30 reports on a player yeah. going into the draft. 
we might have 90 now. <laughs> Everybody's watching everybody. Like yeah. It, yeah. it's, it's almost, I do find it very hard to, to some of the European leagues. I don't know the quality of the whole league as well. So that's hard for me. You know, I have guys I'm like, oh, I really like this guy, but is it like playing in tier two or is it playing in Oh, you're trying to gauge that. That's hard. I find that. And skating is hard too. I'm always, I think I like guys on video skating more than when I'm actually at the rink, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but I said, I, I noticed my grades for skating have been better on video than they usually are at the rink, you know, but I go from watching NHL players in practice. And when I go and sit in a junior game, I can kind of, I gauge it yeah. like that. But on video, whew, it's it's not as easy for me. You know, maybe some people can. I just not. It's not my favorite. Just in terms of when you like how fast or your gait or like what do you? Yeah, like, overall stride. Stride. And yeah. Able yeah. To see, like how they take corners, how quick mm -hmm. they come out of things, how I can watch on a back check where yeah. can they close ground? You know, can they their separation speed, different things like that. How quick they transition plays and and move from forward. You know, especially defense skating backwards to forwards. Like when you saw Hill McCarr at Okotoks, it was elite. The league, mm -hmm. you're like, wow, you know, even though maybe the league people didn't feel as, as as high as the Western League, but to watch what he did it there, you're like, that's it's unbelievable. Like he yeah. just immediately dominated games, you know. Yeah. No, that's really – it's interesting that that you have to factor in the – okay, I would – you almost want like, okay, here's the video scores, here's the live scores, and we have to figure out what the ratio is or whatever. You know, like, is there a multiplier to factor in or what? Well, it's funny because I have a list of names right here that I'm like, I want our skating coach to watch too. Yeah. You know, just to see the stride and to see if we think it's going to be a deterrent moving forward or or it's not going to be an issue. And as long as, you know, the player's willing to do the work, we're going to be fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take our last break and then I've got a few. It's We're bouncing around, but we're going to bounce around even more because a few topics I want to hit on. So, we'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right. I want to talk as as somebody who is a multiple Selkie finalist. Selkie is as we we're about to get into award season for the voters, and it's always a difficult one to define or identify. Um, and I think there's a lot of it's reputation based. Like it's like okay, once Patrice Bergeron is a final, not that he doesn't deserve it, but it's like okay, we you plug in Kopitar and Bergeron. 
what to you when you when you're identifying a selkie candidate or someone who should be what what are you looking for what, what, in your mind what should we be looking for i'm personally looking for a guy that plays against top players every night maybe yeah. not not the top you know the, the selkie person doesn't have to be the top player but they need to be a top shutdown guy in the league at the end of the game when the game's on the line he's on the ice take that big draw or to, to, you know, to make sure you're out there to make sure you protect that lead. Yeah. You know, you're always, you're, you know, even for a person, maybe your plus minus isn't great because you don't get a lot of points, right. But still a plus player night in and night out against top players, you know? So I think, you know, a guy that, I think it's kind of evolved into, if you're one of the best players in the league and you're good defensively, you know, but for sure, like when Datsu playing against Datsu, I can see why. I can see Berger. You know, there's certain players you 100% know why, but I always would like it to be maybe some players that aren't stars in the game. Yes. You know, that yeah. aren't stars. That, they're underrated players that just come and do what they do every night to help their team win, but they're, they're overshadowed by the top two lines. Right. You know? So those are always that's always the way I thought the Selkie was. Yeah. But it's really kind of morphed into Steve Eiserman and you know, he didn't maybe he's not gonna be the MVP of the league, but he's the Sel, you know, type. And but it, it with does. That said, he's yeah. deserving of it. Right. He wasn't, you know, none of those guys, Kopitar, I love Kopi. I mean, he's a first line center, he's a he's a top player in the whole and yeah, he, he can he's two way guy. So should right. he be in the conversation for sure? But you'd also love to see a guy like Lowry in Winnipeg. Mm, that's a good. One. I was just going to say who's a, who's an example that you you would want to see in the mix. That's a good one. Yeah, like a guy like that. You think he's a third line kills penalties. You know, he does all those little things you need to do. You know, people like that. I think are maybe the, where in my mind is what the Selkie's all about. I think even for us, a guy like Backlund. Maybe not going to get 80 points, but he's going to play against top lines every night and contribute offensively. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of those players out there in the league when I think, think about it that maybe just don't get the respect, but I really appreciate their game, all the little things they do. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I, but I do understand why they give it to the guys they do. They're, they're special players and they play both ends of the rink. They're 200 foot players, says Brian Burton. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, who was the toughest center you ever played against in that regard? That's a guy. You know, I mean, I think obviously when you you get got to play against Lemieux, Crosby, Gretzky, all, all these guys, but I mean, night in and night out, Mark Messier was unbelievable. Yeah. He was physical. He was mean. Eric Lindros was a beast. Oh. <laughs> that Legion of Doom line was not – I'm glad we didn't see him often, but I felt like every draw my arm was going to break because he just chopped it. I mean, it was uh, – you know, those are the kind of guys that the big, fast, strong, physical uh, – they were hard to handle. You know, Mike Madonna could fly. You had Iserman. I hated playing those guys in, in Detroit. They always seemed to knock us out of the uh, the playoffs in St. Louis. Yeah. But the Federoffs, Iserman, you know, it, it, it's fun because the guy like probably that dominated us here when we were here was Joe Sackick. Mm. You know, he just played – he must if, – if he had 80, 50 goals in a year, he had – 20 against the Calgary Flames. Yeah, so yeah. him and Forsberg and Forsberg might've been, you know, and I'm going through all those names. And when I'm thinking Forsberg might've been one of the toughest players, best all around hardest player to play mm -hmm. night in and night out. Yeah, He just yeah. Uh, special, but all those guys, I mean, you couldn't, that's one thing about when you were kind of a Selkie candidate, you got to play against the best players every night. And, you know, that's what you miss is that competition against yeah. those great it's funny to think on how many of those guys were on the same team. Like to think you can roll out a Fedorov and Eiserman or Forsberg and Sackett. Like, I, I mean, there's some of that now, but I mean, it, with a cap, it's, it's, it's you don't hard. see that. Yeah. Well, then you had Larianov, you know, you just didn't get any <laughs> That's easier. right. That's right. Then you get the third and fourth line that's Larianov. <laughs> really? Like these guys are painful. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. All right. I want to get, I want to, I don't know if I know the story of you fighting Patrick Waugh on day one. So, as we go into our next okay, bag. Yeah. You know what? I was a huge Montreal fan. So, obviously, the Canadians were my team growing up. It was a dream come true just to go to the Montreal Forum that day, first day of practice. <laughs> you know, with that said, I mean, your butterflies, yeah. you know, probably if you're, if you're a baseball player going to do it at the Yankees, 
would be the similar. Yeah. So I'm sitting in the locker room. The nerves are there. I'm excited. I'm looking over Patrick Waz on my team. We're just going to have a, a scrimmage. We go out, warm up. I get in the back of the line for the three, three um, shooting, three shooters. As we go through right, left, center, you know, I'm going through the whole thing. It's my turn. The guy on the right side, he kind of bobbles the puck. So he doesn't shoot the puck until maybe the top of the circle. And with the nerves and jitters and everything, I'm right at the, about the blue line, but I let a slap shot go. And you know when you just hit it pure <laughs> and it just feels like everything is perfect and it just took off. Mm. And as I'm watching and I'm thinking, oh, no. And it hits Patrick right in the head and, you know, obviously over, there was no glass or no, uh, no netting and over. And he put his arms up. Then he cleaned the crease with a stick. Then he took his stick and threw it over the glass. And then I'm he getting stressed just thinking out. about this. Now, Mike, I have palm, sweaty palms. Imagining oh, this. I, I do too right now. And as he's charging out at me, <laughs> I'm saying, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't, you know, and out of that, he hits me right with the blocker in the forehead. Oh, So in, my instinct just took over. I just grabbed him so he couldn't punch me again. But as I grabbed him, both teams grabbed me. Right. I, I was like, <laughs> That's I was amazing. getting pummeled in there. <laughs> I mean, they were yelling at me. We're going to kill you. We're, I'm like, what? what? What is going on? You know, so finally the coaches came out, they break it all up and I go back to the, you know, I go to the bench. We're getting ready now to start the scrimmage. And I'm thinking, I, I can't even believe this just happened. I just hit Patrick on the head. He hates me. He doesn't even know. He hates me. And, and then, you know, the Montreal media, there was no glass behind the bench. So all of a sudden I have a million microphones right in my face. What were you thinking? Are you an idiot? What's wrong with you? <laughs> You're an idiot. I mean, they didn't call me an idiot. Yeah, but, I, but you, you didn't have to read between the lines. Yeah. So I finally get through that game. It's the longest scrimmage of my life. I want to just go to the, you know, you want to get to the locker room, yeah. get undressed and get out of there. When I got to the locker room, it was so packed with media and they were waiting for me. Because oh. I, I waited, like after it was all over, I waited till everybody was gone. And yeah. then I Okay, I'll go in. I'll just get undressed really quick and get out of there. And it was just so for about three days, I could see my picture everywhere in Montreal on the, you know, I was on the papers everywhere. Lucky I don't speak French because I know they were probably <laughs> killing me, but uh, it was, I just couldn't wait to get sent down. A few days later, I got sent down. That was a good day, actually. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's so stressful. I can't. So, so I, <laughs> I love that you got drafted by Montreal and it's just to show how different a time it was. Like, you know, I've been to a million drafts and you sit there and it's the last round and there's still groups of people waiting to get picked and families cheering and you get picked by Montreal. How did you find out? It wasn't that scenario, right? Yeah. I literally got a call and I answered. I thought it was a joke <laughs> because I thought it was my buddy because, you know, the accent, everything. I'm like, somebody is messing with me. Like, oh, they're like, I knew the draft was going on that day, right. but I didn't watch. I didn't have a phone or internet or yeah. I didn't have any clue really. And I kind of, when they said it, I thought they were joking. And then they said, hold for Serge Savard. I thought, really? Hold. <laughs> and then I'm waiting. And then, sir, I mean, I've watched enough interviews and seen Serge talk yeah. that I'm like, yeah. Yes, Mr. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, I just sat there. They're like, we'll be sending you a bag with stuff, blah, blah, blah. He just went through everything and just welcome, you know, to the Montreal Canadiens. So it was a pretty, uh, pretty special day, even though I had no clue it was going to happen. It was, uh, it was one. And now I've been to so many drafts. I said, I never went to my own draft, but I've been to, to so many. It's, you know, the Dustin Wolf story was probably my favorite thing in any draft. I don't know if you. I don't know that one. Tell her that one. So the year before we had picks four only we had fourth round picks all the way to seven. Okay. Not one player was there. Yeah. So we drafted no players. Mm -hmm. So the next year we come back and, you know, we're going along in the first few rounds, the players come down, you know, we get to meet them and everything. And then there's about three rounds where there's no players. Yeah. And then we're, we have the fourth or fifth pick from the bottom uh, last pick and we pick Dustin Wolf. And I mean, there is a explosion <laughs> in the stands. 
I turn, I'm like, what? Because we haven't heard anything in like three rounds. Yeah, right, right. Maybe like some clapping, whatever. But it felt like, you know how the first round is when the first overall pick goes, it just kind of. Yeah, yeah. It was way bigger than that. <laughs> way good. bigger. So I was so pumped. Yeah. Peter Hanlon, are, you know, is getting, getting, he's getting a jersey. He's getting everything ready. He's like, did anyone know he was here? Like, no, because he was sitting way up in the top row. Uh, with when there was a lot of people, probably 40 or 50 people with him. And when they kind of the cheer went up and he came down, he was crying when he got to the table. Oh. I mean, it was it was one of the most emotional things and uh, and best things I've seen at the draft for sure. Oh, you know, and that. most teams already are packing up and they're getting yep. ready to leave. So it was it was pretty special. I'm, I miss that. Like about I hate that we're doing virtual again this year because I do love that. I love everyone being in one spot and, you know, getting in the bump into people. Well, I I thought the virtual draft was going to be. I thought I was going to like it better. Yeah, you know. But then now that I look back and think about it, and for whatever reason, I think guys also when it's virtual feel like they have to take the whole time limit. Yeah, it was really like, slow, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm like, really? Yeah. A timeout? What is going on here? Like, why is it taking this long? Like, I, I thought we just dragged it out way too long. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if it was because it was virtual and everyone was just sitting somewhere, but. But uh, yeah, I, I told Todd, we know who we want. Yeah. I, I want to see how quick Todd can get that pick in. <laughs> yeah. Good. I, we needed that. Cause that, I just yeah. was like, this is un, it was, it was, it was crazy. All right. All right. To wrap up. But yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your, your best Brett Hall story. I know you've mentioned Brett as somebody you loved, you know, one of your favorites of all time. Brett. I mean, I could probably talk about Brett. <laughs> Days, but one of my favorite, I guess, stories that I can tell and everybody, I mean, Holly's such a great scorer and everything that kind of goes along with it. I remember we were playing Dallas, St. Louis, and Pierre Turgeon and Brett Hall got a two-on-one. And they went down and all of a sudden, Pierre just shot the puck, didn't score. We come back to the thing. He's like, Brett, I think at the time had 500 and some goals. He's like 512 goals, 300 goals. Let's go with the odds here, Tersh. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah. He goes, you got to give me the puck. So they kind of were joking back and forth on the bench. So the third period, they get another two-on-one, and the D slides, and Pierre throws a, a pass, probably a foot and a half off the ice. Mm-hmm. Holly takes it out of the air in the top corner. Oh. So we're all like, Wow. And, you know, he doesn't say anything. He comes, sits on the bench, and he's sitting there, not saying a word, not like everyone's congratulating him. He just turned and said, never said it had to be a good pass. <laughs> <laughs> got a million oh, like that. That's amazing. Can you imagine having that confidence? I can't. I would oh, love. Gosh, that's it amazing. sure did. <laughs> um, because we're all stuck in 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 uh, looking for things to do, you once said Lone Survivor was your favorite book, and so I always like to ask for book recs. Is that still your favorite book? Oh, what have I read lately? I was reading. A, I'm trying to think. We we used to the River God. We read the River God a long time ago. It's about Egypt, and I kind of like that one too. The River God. Yeah, River God. Jerome right. got me hooked on the River God, so I read River God, and it's 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 about Egypt and a whole yeah. bunch of things. But I, I found it interesting, yeah. you know. So maybe we'll go with the River God now. I've read some recent books. Now I read like autobiographies. You mm-hmm. know, I try to, you know, I like the Giants, so I'll go and read stuff about the Giants and, and different things like that. I love I love kind of seeing different sports now and the way, you know. Teams are built, Parcells, the way he thinks, all, all, all guys like that that kind of gone through and, and had success. And, you know, it, it's fun. I just, I think right now reading is probably the one thing that kind of kills as much time and you don't have to, uh, you know, it just gives me something to do in these boring days. Hopefully we get back to normal here soon. Though. Yeah. Do you read hockey books or do you like to go, like how we were, Producer uh, Jeff just said, I was wondering if you read Berkey's book, which is a great read. You know what? I have Berkey's uh, Berkey's book here, but I haven't read it. Yeah. I have Cujo's book at home. Yeah, I do like to read. You know, I want, I got to believe Berkey's exaggerating a little. You think? Yeah, I was going to say, how much of it? I was just trying to fact check more than anything. How much of it's true? 
Because <laughs> I know there's some, sometimes when he tells, I know what's going on behind the scenes. And then I hear him say something, I'm like, that's totally not true. <laughs> Part of it's true, but not all of it. That's right. That's Well, that's when you write your own book, you can, it's, it's your book. You can say whatever you want. Totally, totally. I mean, he's got, you know what? I, I probably never enjoyed working with anyone as much as Berkey, though, and learned as much as from anybody as Berkey. Yeah. He just, uh, you know, when we'd go on car rides to go scouting, whatever, we were in Ontario, I stayed at his house and to kind of sit down, it, he's a wealth of knowledge mm -hmm. and he just, I don't know, he just seems to know everything in every situation. I mean, he loves the, you know, how he moved up for the Sedines. That's obviously. Oh she likes that story. I I've love heard that story. story a million times yeah. now. <laughs> you know, and he, he always would tell Brad, Brad, we, we can move up, you know. We can move up <laughs> in the draft. It's not a rule you can't. So, you know, that's how he started every draft when he was here. We can move up. Well, then he said nobody would deal with him anymore after the Sedines. Nobody would wanted to deal with him after that. Yeah, he said he, you know, well, the Pronger deal, too, was a big one for him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, to, to move up and get Pronger, too. That was, he loves that story. So, there's yeah. definitely, but he he made some amazing moves, you know, the way he, he builds teams and the way he kind of thinks about everything. It's good to have him back in the game. I'm glad Pittsburgh, uh, I love him on TV. Yeah. But I also think uh, he's good for the game on this side. I agree. I agree. All right, last thing. So, I mean, you'll... You'll, you're on that path to be a GM. What, you, you work now with Brad Treliving. What, what have you learned from Tree? Or what, what will you take with you? If, if you know, I mean, I think just next. the way he's got a good pulse on what's going on around the league. Mm -hmm. He makes a lot of he makes a lot of calls. I mean, that's the one thing I will say. He's always on the phone. He's always he's got a feel of everything that's going on. Whether you know some deals we're not going to be in on, but, but at least we know what's kind of coming down. You know, I think relationships with, with, uh, with agents are, you know, I didn't realize how valuable that was, mm. uh, you know, and obviously they have the players. So you have to, you have to have a pulse, what they feel, but you know, you have to build those relationships with them because in the end, you know, if they feel comfortable with you, uh, you know, and that's the one good thing about me, I don't do a lot of contract negotiations. Yeah. So, they don't dislike me right now. <laughs> you can be a good Snow, cop, bad cop. No, they probably don't like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I said, anybody who does the contract negotiations is not a liked person around here. That's you know, hard. the players always say that. They're like, That's amazing. did Snowy do that contract? I said, yes. He's like, they're like, they shake their head. Uh, who was your agent? I don't know. Uh, uh, Lewis Gross. Oh, Lewis Gross. Oh, yeah. that's that's funny. So we got Johnny. And, yeah, you know, I was going to say. guys here. That's great. That's awesome. Well, Craig, I know you got a ton to do and there's games being played and all that. So, I'll let you get back at it. But thank you so much for the time. This is fun. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I want to thank Craig Conroy for joining the program. That was awesome, Craig. He's so, he's so upbeat. Fun to talk to. I Like that, I got to say, that Calgary Flames front office is awesome. And in fact, I, I this is completely unintentional, but I believe... I know Brad Treliving has been on the podcast. We talked about how he basically started an entire league by himself, um, which was an awesome episode. Chris Snow w was an incredible episode of the Full 60. Um, and now Craig Conroy. We, uh, you know, we are working we're our way through the Calgary Flames front office. There's just some incredible personalities, incredible stories in that front office. Easy team to root for. I yeah, probably shouldn't even admit this, but you know, that Calgary Montreal game the, the other night that had so many playoff implications after talking to Craig, I was watching it saying, all right, it'd be really fun to see if Calgary could win this game, throw some real chaos into the uh, standings there. And the other thing that got me thinking about after that conversation was we, we touched on it briefly, but I mean, Craig Conroy was such a great two-way player, great defensive center. And we, we, we talked to Craig a little bit about the Selkie trophy and I'm with him. It would be really cool if this was the year the Selkie was we, – we recognized somebody um, that was completely, you know, that shut down center type, that wasn't necessarily the the superstar. And in my mind, if you look at – Dom has always does a great job with his awards um, breakdown. But it's it, – you look at two people at the top of the list, and it's going to be that kind of race. And if you're talking about a guy who is so good defensively down the middle and Philip Deneau – that's probably, if, you, if you're saying, okay, who can be that version of what Craig Conroy was talking about? It's probably him. And then the counter to that is a guy in Alexander Barkov who's had an incredible season. Um, my guess is because of Barkov and just how well-rounded a player he is, the offensive upside he provides, 
Um, the fact that the Florida Panthers just clinched a, a playoff spot uh, last night as I sit here and record this, maybe he becomes a favorite. But it's funny, Craig mentions that, and now it's going to come down to that kind of race for the Selkie. And I always find the Selkie to be such an, a fascinating ballot. And, and this year, you know, Hart Trophy's done. Like, there's no... There's no debating Connor McDavid. We are that. I don't. We're not debating that, right? I don't think anybody is. There's no counterpoint to that. So you you have to move down the ballot to get at some of these more interesting arguments. And I think the Selkie. Um, this could be the year that Craig gets his way, and a guy like Tenno would be um, somebody who who gets a lot of looks there. Before we wrap up, um, Stan Bowman, who of course general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, but also Team USA Olympic GM. Assuming we have the NHL players in the Olympics, that seems to be um, coming to a head right now. Stan joined Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun on the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Definitely check out that podcast because not only do you have Scott and Pierre doing their thing on Wednesdays, you've got Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian and Sean Down Goes Brown McIndoo. Just a great crew, a great show. So make sure you're listening to the Athletics Hockey Show. And also Brett McLean, the assistant coach of the Minnesota Wild, joins Michael Russo this week on Straight from the Source. So be sure to check that out. As always, if you're not subscribing to The Athletic, you want to listen to this podcast ad-free. You don't have to (laughs) sit and listen to me uh, do ad reads. Go to theathletic.com slash full60, and you can get a a subscription to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month. That's a great deal. And we have so much playoff stuff coming and off-season stuff. So make sure, if you're not subscribing, take advantage of that deal. Go to theathletic.com slash full60 to get $3.99 per month subscription and full access to The Athletic. All right, that's it. Craig, thanks again for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening, and have a great week.